0: Hi, I'm Dan McNeil. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Glad you're with me once again as we get ready to lift the lid on week one of the 2022 NFL season. Everybody is up to their baby blues in preseason stuff, in scrimmages against teams that don't matter. It is time to move on to games that do count. And I'm going to get to the week one card in just a little bit. I want to first go back to a couple of podcasts ago. I have some unfinished business to which I need to attend if I'm going to clear my conscience. In my podcast, I think this was early last week when I discussed what I thought were the best two football movies of all time. And I shared with listeners some of the responses I got on social media, listeners' favorites, and I dismissed several of them. I complimented several movies, but I also made a few glaring omissions, and I apologize for that. Please keep contributing. Those of you who suggested the replacements, and maybe I forgot it, or a few other movies I forgot. My bad on that, but thank you for your participation. And I do have to correct something I said about the lead character in Rudy, which I have yet to watch, start to finish. I referred to Sean Astin, Rudy, as a virtual unknown. Oh, contraire, man with his head in the sand. Sean Astin not only drew enormous fame from Rudy, he was in a project called The Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've heard of it. I, of course, have heard of it. I recognize its commercial success uh, being enormous. If you don't, you're just not paying attention. It's one of the all-time greatest franchises in all of Hollywood. It's just not my flavor, and I couldn't tell you very many characters from that, just as I couldn't give you much about Star Wars, and I couldn't give you much about the Harry Potter franchise. I can't do that about Lord of the Rings, and Sean Astin had a huge piece of that, as he did with Goonies. So let me let you know, I have been educated, and never again will I refer to Sean Astin as a virtual unknown. That won't happen again. A few podcasts prior to that, I had thanked many fans of of my shows over the years for reaching out and and asking just flat out how you doing are are you doing okay since you got fired almost two years ago and two years officially will be next week and i appreciate that enormously that you've invested enough in me as a human being not a radio host to be concerned to ask about my son patrick i said i was going to get to that in week zero of the NFL season, but last week when it came time to pick the majority of my content for the last two shows before week one got rolling, I thought gambling was was paramount, that what I've been doing with my time can wait. The same thing for football movies, it doesn't play during the season since the whole concept behind it was are you tired of preseason scrimmages let's talk about football movies. I will get to those two years at some point down the road I promise you it's something I want to do it's something I've been more comfortable uh, more comfortable doing when asked by guys like Brian No from Barrett Sports media perhaps you saw that column on Twitter it's Barrett sports media primarily. Is an industry public publication, those in radio, television, and uh, to a lesser degree newspaper, remember newspaper? They're all subscribers to it. They all follow Barrett sports media. We all read it, but I don't know how deep it's penetrated. Uh, the general public saluting general public. Uh, but if you want to backtrack it, Brian Noh is the writer who interviewed me for BSM Barrett sports media on Twitter and I was willing to talk about what got me fired. I was willing to do so with Dan Dockage on his show in Indianapolis today or with John Zagul from Chicago Sports Talk. I've become more comfortable as two years now have expired, and I will get to it uh, in just a little bit. But football season is primary here, primarily here, and that's going to be the highest percentage of my content. I don't see many shows in the next six months that will take a departure from what I believe is to be the greatest game ever invented, and that's professional football. And we have 10 favorites who are going on the road this week, 10 road favorites in the NFL. I'm going to get to to my best pick of the week in just a little bit, and I'm going to get to something you probably didn't thought I would have in my pocket today, and that's a few positives I found out of Bears training camp in year number one over Matt Eberflus. It is so easy to just default to the roster. It is a lousy roster, no question about that. But there were a few things that happened during training camp, things that didn't happen even. I think we'll parlay into some reason for optimism as this first season unfolds. The first season under a new head coach, a first-time headmaster, a first-time general manager, Ryan Poles, whose off-season acquisitions were not memorable as of yet. Uh, We haven't seen any any fruit growing on the vines, but there's one diamond in the rough I think I want to keep my eyes on here in the upcoming weeks. But I begin with the biggest story of late last week, and that is the announced resignation of Bears president and CEO Ted Phillips. He announced this Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. The classic public relations management strategy of your Chicago Bears. Not my Bears, your Bears. The classic news dump. Two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, heading into a long holiday weekend, the Labor Day weekend affords the Bears. Another day of not being under the microscope of fans and media in Chicago. Surprised me none when this is what we got Friday afternoon, Dan Pompey of The Athletic having the quick uh, access to both Phillips and owner George McCaskey. McCaskey described Ted Phillips as peerless. Phillips was the boss for 23 years, and I want to give some closure to his legacy um, and from what standpoint McCaskey might regard Phillips as peerless, because he may not be wrong in one department. 23 years on the job, the Bears won three playoff games during his tenure as the guy who sets the tone. Two of those were against Seattle. One of them against the, the Seahawks team went 7-9 and nine to win the NFC West and be on paper from a measurable standpoint – the worst playoff team in NFL history. That's factual. That cannot be disputed. The other team falling prey to the Bears, the New Orleans Saints, early in Sean Payton's run as head coach there. The NFC Championship game, ultimately the Bears getting waxed in uh, Miami by the Colts in Super Bowl 41, but they blew out Drew Brees and the Saints on a snowy day at Soldier Field in the NFC title game, I think, 39-15 to 15 was the final in that. So those are your three, uh, three playoff wins in 23 years. That's better than the Lions. The Lions haven't won a playoff game in 23 years. In fact, you have to go back to 91. To find the last Lions playoff win over Dallas en route to the NFC Championship game, where they were annihilated by the then Washington Redskins. Skins went on to win the Super Bowl in Minneapolis, beating the Bills, one of four consecutive Bills losses in a game with Roman numerals on it. So you look at three wins opposite six losses in the postseason. Not memorable, to say the least. The Bears finished, by my math, and I double-checked this, a, a 182 and 203 since Phillips became the boss. That's 21 games below the 500 mark. So what are the positives that come from the Ted Phillips era? Number one, an indoor practice facility in Lake Forest that is As good probably as any in the league. In 2019, they cut the ribbon on a new facility that is state-of-the-art, a spacious, luxurious, high-tech weight training facility. The Bears no longer have to bus to what they refer to as the Peyton Center for guys to lift. It's right there, meeting rooms, locker rooms everything is is up to speed they were the last team in the nfc north to do this but the fact they spent as much money as they did on this palatial training facility that makes it a little bit more attractive to free agents in the nfl ultimately it's how many how many zeros how many what are the digits you're putting on the contract offer it's not college recruiting Athletes aren't as wide-eyed when they've been professional football players already as they are when they're college recruits. But it it counts for something, and it means the team will not be horribly inconvenienced if it ever gets back to playoff form. I am so old. I remember when the Bears didn't have an indoor training facility, period, to prepare, prepare for teams in inclement weather. They, for a while, would go to the University of Illinois in Champaign. That's what they did in 85 to get ready for Super Bowl XX. And fast forward three years, 1988, I was in my first year at the AMFM Loop and was tasked with covering the Bears in Sewanee, Georgia. S-U-W-A-N-E-E. Sewanee, Georgia, where the Falcons trained. And media were so small then, we were allowed to stay in the same hotel as the team. And when you think NFL team hotels, you think of buildings with 25 floors, don't you? You think of a Hyatt, a Four Seasons, in a city like Green Bay, maybe a a Radisson at the casino is the best you can do. But you think of luxury hotels. That was not what we stayed in, in Sewanee. The Bears, and I actually had an invitation to Ditka's room to get him on the radio show I was producing in Chicago. He had a suite, which is to say he had two bedrooms in a very small living living room area in his room. But this was a Howard Johnson's, for those of you who can remember Hojo's. This was a travel lodge type hotel it was not what you would call luxurious certainly not even by college standards luxurious those days are gone the bears have a a terrific indoor practice facility so that's a mark in the in the win column for ted phillips number 2 positives in the last 13 years the decision makers the general managers and head coaches have been granted far more freedom to make bold moves. You go back to March of 09, Jerry Angelo traded with Denver for two number one picks for Jay Cutler. It didn't pan out. Cutler's career, I, I, what would you describe? One word for Jay Cutler's career as a bear. Unsatisfying? Incomplete? Those are words that come to mind. Underwhelming unsatisfying I think is what I might go with or unrewarding only one playoff win in team history with Jay Cutler at uh, at the wheel another example of that kind of freedom that was unbearable like in recent years the Khalil Mack trade right before the 2018 season the first trade I was talking about that's a Jerry Angelo move this one is made two GMs down the line by Ryan Pace. And not only are they willing to part with a couple of first round picks for Mac, they wrap him up with a brand new contract that made him the highest paid defensive player in the history of the game. That is not something you associate with bears operations. That's just not something they've done historically. I'm not one of those who will tell you, "Ah, the Bears are always going on the cheap." No, they don't. They've spent big money on free agents. They've just guessed wrong. They made a free agent pass rusher named Philip Daniels, the highest-paid player in team history when they acquired him 00001 right around then, didn't work out. They've paid for players. They've just spent poorly. But you never thought you would see the Bears going out and paying record money for a defensive player. They did that. The biggest feather in the cap of Ted Phillips, and this is why George McCaskey would say he was peerless, it's the bottom freaking line. It's the bean counter who was Ted Phillips for so many years before he was empowered to make football decisions. The Bears are valued at $5 billion. That is the sixth highest value of 32 NFL teams. $6 billion for the Bears. He's a bottom line guy. He makes money despite all of the blemishes. On the other side of the ledger, I understand why the McCaskies, who line their pockets with the profits feel positively about Phillips and refer to him as peerless. But at what price victory? The Bears haven't won under Phillips. They haven't won but one Super Bowl in the era that began back with Green Bay and Kansas City many years ago. Roman numerals when two networks actually carried the Super Bowl. Jim McMahon told me on my radio show two years ago, and this is shortly after Michael McCaskey passed away, he still was pulling no punches. He told me Michael McCaskey once told him winning was secondary. Making money was the objective, the number one objective. Just fill the building. Just be profitable. Everything else is in second place. The negatives for Ted Phillips. And then you ask yourself, were there more negatives than positives? I've got 3 on each list. You have to decide which ones weigh the most and which ones make you say thumbs up or thumbs down on Phillips. The lack of a championship, I don't know how well she go, thumbs down, but I will not lead the jury any further. The record on the field is a huge negative. 21 games below 500, those 3 playoff wins it's been since January 16 of 2011 since the Bears beat the Seahawks 35-24 to 24 at Soldier Field to move on to the NFC Championship game where they got whacked by Green Bay. Packers go on and win the Super Bowl despite 20 or so starters that year missing time. 20 or so first teamers missed games that year. The number two negative, team culture. And that plays into number one, the record on the field. The perception nationally is not as clearly focused as it is here. People don't understand around the league how the Bears have possessed an inability to hire the right general managers and coaches. You go back as as far as 0-1 when the Bears... Actually I thought it was embarrassing to hire a search committee and they did it again before hiring Matt Eberflus they did it to they hired a search committee to find a general manager ultimately that general manager is Jerry Angelo not a bad record but that's not a way to build team culture somebody in that building needs to be a football authority in Dallas you might hate Jerry Jones but he's a football man. That's undeniable. That's not the way the Bears have structured their organization. Businessmen like Phillips are the most empowered. So you don't have the ability on your own to make the right decisions. This past offseason, they they consult with Bill Polian before they make the decision. On Ryan Pauls, who said the decision to hire Eberflus was his, and he was very defensive when questioned about it. You go back to '99, McGinnis. Yet his, I'm sorry, the McGinnis fiasco. Dave McGinnis, who was hired to be the Bears coach and was the head coach for a couple of hours. Phillips was not yet empowered. That still was McCaskey in the throne, Mike McCaskey. But Ted's fingerprints were on this. He was a part of those meetings when Dave McGinnis at that time, a defensive coordinator for Vince Tobin's Arizona Cardinals, was asked to lie to his assistant coaches about how much time on their deals was going to be guaranteed. McGinnis didn't say it publicly. He had too much love for Virginia McCaskey to empty his pockets on everything that was the botched hire. Leaking of news. Uh, It appears on ESPN before he's even told his boss, uh, Tobin, he's going to take the Bears job. That was a colossal error in judgment. And you fast forward to his successor, Dick Jaron, had one good season. 0-1, the Bears went 13-3 under Jaron. They got pasted at home by Philly in their only playoff appearance with Jaron as head coach, but when, when Angelo starts seeking his successor, the successor to Jaron, he goes after Nick Saban in a meeting with Ted Phillips and others Saban from my unimpeachable sources. And I reported this at the time had to be restrained from going after the bears president and CEO. He was extremely upset that something that was presented in his contract offer was not negotiable. I do not know what that was, whether it was, you know, the promise to be deceitful to your assistants, what it was, but I know that Sabin was hot against him, wanted nothing to do with it. You fast forward to prior to the Mark Tressman hiring, Bruce Arians thought he was first and goal at the one and was going to be the Bears head coach. He got cold feet. One of the things that put him off was the suggestion on the Bears' part to do a mock news conference with actual media members. Arians already had served his apprenticeship. He filled in in Indianapolis As an interim head coach, he did a wonderful job. Some thought he should have been named coach of the year. Chuck Pagano's assistant did a remarkable job when Pagano was was out with with cancer treatments and unable to coach the team. Arians earned his first opportunity with the Cardinals from the skins he put on the wall that year. Team culture isn't good when unqualified hires like Mark Tressman are made. Phil Emery, the general manager, who was laughed at during Super Bowl week when he was running around telling everybody he's going to be the next GM of the Bears. Well, he got the job. He got the job in his introductory news conference. He was boasting about his days as the strength and conditioning coach at West Point. Then there's Ryan Pace, the boy wonder, hires John Fox to succeed Trestman. Two years on the John Fox retirement funding program were enough. And then he sent on his way and it's Matt Nagy, the next unsuccessful head coach, despite being named coach of the year in his first year in 2018. Bears did a nice job. Most of it was predicated on their defense and Nagy, uh, you know, not not pulling the trigger early on giving Mitch, it was just, I don't even like to go back any further. You know all about Matt Nagy's record. And lastly, on my list of the three big negatives for Phillips during his regime, to me, this is number one. The Bears' stadium problems. Phillips, shortly after he inherited power, did get the deal done with the city on a $660 million Renovation of Soldier Field in 03. You recall the move to Champaign for a full season. Bears players reporting it was like playing 16 road games. They went 4 12 that year. And for what? To move into a brand spanking new 61,500 seat stadium without a roof. It's the smallest stadium in the NFL. Six or seven other teams come in at 65K or just a little bit fewer. The Raiders' new facility is not huge. I think only 65,000 seating capacity at Allegiant Stadium, but it's a sparkling facility that can be used indoors year-round and other smaller stadia have had fewer problems or and I'm saying smaller, I don't mean smaller than the bears. Nobody in the NFL has fewer seats than the bears, but those 65,000 ish teams like Arizona, the Bengals, the bucks, the Patriots, the lions, the dolphins. And I mentioned the Raiders. Those are state of the art facilities. That's not soldier field. And I'm not just talking about from a scenic blight standpoint, because that's what soldier field is. The spaceship on the lakes. Lake. The Raiders paid less than $2 billion for their facility, and they got a great facility. The Bears spent almost three quarters of a million 20 years ago to renovate Soldier Field, and here they are now looking for a new place to call their home. You don't have to spend the $5 billion Los Angeles and the Rams and Chargers collaborated on to build the Taj Mahal. But at least give me something like Allegiant Stadium. At least give your city a year-round facility, concerts, Final Fours, conventions. Soldier Field never will have that on the lakefront. Hopefully, when we learn about the Arlington Heights facility, we will learn about the Bears jumping into the 21st century. So you hold, you cross your fingers. They get that done, and I'll see ya in the Northwest suburbs in 2030 when they finally cut the ribbon there. Positives from Bears preseason games. I'm going to start with Tevin Jenkins. I've got three of them here. Tevin Jenkins moved to right guard. What might wind up being one of the most genius moves the Bears had. He didn't get on the field much last year. He started only two games. And this is a second round draft pick The 39th player chosen overall out of Oklahoma State. Back problems kept him off the field all of last season. And it's easy for Bears fans to boo Tevin Jenkins, number 76. Not only for Jenkins' inability to get on the field or make a difference when he is on the field, because of the history they have at that position. Trying to find a tackle since Jimbo covert in 83 has been an impossible project for the bears. They have swung and missed repeatedly in the first round, barring Kyle long drafted as a guard played guard, but at tackle it's an all too familiar calling card to one of Jerry Angelo's biggest boners. And that is Chris Williams, a first rounder in zero eight out of Vanderbilt. He spent the entire training camp in bourbon a in the tub, Know why? Back problems. Came back in year two, started all 16 games, wasn't very effective. A couple years later, the Bears let him go to St. Louis where he had one season of availability, started all 16 games for the Rams in 2013, finished in Buffalo the next year, couldn't get on the field, and that was it. An eight-year career. For Chris Williams he started 57 games in eight years a dozen picks later the Houston Texans chose Dwayne Brown he has been to several pro bowls he's been a first team all pro and uh, he has started 203 career games but I loved what I saw from Jenkins against the Seahawks. I thought he showed tremendous ability to keep his pad level down. I thought in tandem with Larry Borum, the right tackle, number 75, there was an outstanding ability to do double teams. I thought they, they, they kept backside pressure when the run was opposite. They kept backside pressure away, and that's always been a problem with the – not always, but in recent years, backside pressure has been an issue for the Bears. Not the case. In, In the brief time we saw Jenkins at right guard, I've got reasons to be optimistic about that offensive line. Maybe you don't. Lucas Patrick is now back in the mix. He returned to practice Monday, and not sure yet whether he's going to be playing center or guard. They haven't been very forthright, Matt Eberflus and others, about how that's going to shake out. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're hoping he can return to center, which there is a glaring weakness in Sam Mustafer. They're much better with Patrick if he can snap. I don't know how you can come around to doing that with a busted up thumb, but they're hopeful he can. Vailus Jones, a player, appeared in one preseason game. The rookie out of Tennessee missed two of the preseason scrimmages. It's an undisclosed injury. In his second dress rehearsal, his only one, the Bears' second preseason game, he sparkled as a return man. Had a forty-eight-yard punt return that set up a Bears touchdown last year. His last year at Rocky Top, Vailus Jones Jr. Is, is named the Co-Special Teams Player of the Year. Now, where does that get you in the NFL? How valuable can a return man be? We're hoping this guy can be a wide receiver, Bears fans are saying to me right now as they listen to this podcast. Sure you are. But do you remember Devin Hester? Now, I know I'm comparing him to the best player in the history of the game at his position, but you might recall how radically games were changed With a guy like Hester, when you're starting at midfield, either your return brilliance or a team's lack of willingness to kick you the ball gives you good field position. And it wasn't just with Hester. It was with Daniel Manning who followed. Great return men can change games. And when an offense is challenged like I believe the Bears are, you got to have guys who can do things like that for you. I'm going to hold out hope as my third positive that Byron Pringle is a wild card here. He's a fifth-year wide out who only played in 49% of the Chiefs' offensive snaps last year. Is he just a guy, or can he be a consistent contributor? Last year, and again, he's only playing half the time. He had 42 catches for 568 yards and five touchdowns. On the Bears, that is a terrific supporting player year of production. He's practicing this week. A quad injury is what kept him out. He's a punchline, right? Ooh, there's a real bad popped piece. Sorry about that, Adam. He's a, a punchline in training camp or even before training camp when right after the Bears sign him, he is arrested for doing donuts in a parking lot while his son is in the backseat. Not a good move, ever. Never a good move in my world to do donuts with 700 horses under the hood. Bad idea. You could lose control of that in a hurry. And I don't care if there's a child in your backseat or not. It's a stupid thing to do with 700 horses under the hood. There are 10 road favorites to kick off this season. I love how the Rams are getting no respect from the gamblers or the odds makers. They're not even the favorite in the NFC. The Rams are getting points against the Bills Thursday night. The Rams are the defending Super Bowl champions. I'm taking the Rams. I'm going to buy a point at Bet Rivers and move it up to three and a half. I'll take the three with the hook easily. Uh, bills. I understand why there's a ton of love for him. Everybody loves Josh Allen. I do too. Problem is he's the best running back on their team until proven otherwise. 49ers over the bears by seven, according to bet rivers on Tuesday morning. The total is 41. I am no Trey Lance guy in the slightest. I am staying away unless I get back down to six and a half if Chicago betters move that line down just a tick I think I'll play the 49ers but I, I you know I until I see Trey Lance look a lot better than he did in his couple of opportunities last year I am not a believer other road favorites include the Saints at Atlanta By the way, Atlanta is the biggest long shot on the board this year to win its division at plus 2,500. The Ravens are seven-point favorites over the Jets. The Colts are eight-point favorites over the Texans. They're down on the Colts in Indianapolis, and it's unsure whether Darius Shaquille Leonard will play for Indy this weekend. I'm not a Davis Mills guy just yet. I'll probably take the Colts in that one. The Eagles are road favorites at Detroit. They're laying four. I'm taking the Lions getting the points. Yes, I have been affected by hard knocks. Dan Campbell has made me a fan. Other road favorites, the Packers over the Vikings by a point and a half. The Chiefs over the Cardinals by four. The Buccaneers down to a point and a half over Dallas. That opened a little bit higher. And the Broncos with Russell Wilson and his fresh new deal, six and a half point favorites over Wilson's last team, the Seahawks. He's going back to Seattle to conclude week one. That should be fun. I've not given Wilson as much credit as he's deserved in his career, but I sold stock on him last year, and I think Peyton and the Broncos are going to rue the day. They decided to give him $165 million. I just don't think that's a good move. In case you missed my podcast on my Ten Commandments of Football Wagering, I want to encourage you to go back and give it a listen. And tell your friends, by the way, about the Danny Mac podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. It's very easy. It's free. And a lot of of baby boomers are afraid of the technology. Give them a push. Let them know it's the push of a button. Ten Commandments of Football Wagering. My guy to a profitable gaming investment portfolio. I'm not going to go into detail, but I'll review what my top 10 commandments are. The top 10 commandments, the 10 commandments, thou shalt establish a monthly budget or an annual budget and abide by it. Thou shalt not exceed three moves per day. Thou shalt not chase. Number four, thou shalt not look at winnings as house money. Number five commandment, thou shalt not wager on favorite teams, alma maters, teams with your favorite fantasy players, teams with cool helmets. If you absolutely have to make a move on that, do it with a lunch money play. Number six, thou shalt not wait until game day to make a move. Line shop, get your moves in earlier in the week before point spreads move opposite your favored direction. Number seven, thou shalt not follow the advice of others blindly. Number eight, thou shalt not move aggressively early in the season. Is is it early this week? It's early. It's opening day. It's lid lifters. Don't bet the mortgage payment. Bet very little this weekend. You're not going to, though. You're going to bet a lot. You can't help yourself. It's opening day. Number nine, thou shalt not become attached to parlays or other gimmicks. And the number 10 commandment ending on a positive, thou shalt review these nine previous steps regularly. Thanks for listening. It's Bears and San Francisco front and center. When we reconvene later in the week, Sam Michael is the executive producer of the Danny Mac podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcast from. Adam Delavit is my guy at Bet Rivers. Thank you so much for listening. More football on Thursday. I'm Danny Mac, and I am tail lights for now.